Hey there, everybody, and welcome out to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott and David Durfee here, as always, uh, excited about another day. How you doing, Dave? Yeah, fired up, Scott. Fired up. Excited to talk about the fall. We uh, are in a great time of year. Uh, this uh, episode will be coming out right after Thanksgiving, and uh, I, you know, I, I just, I, Dave, I've been thinking a lot about that. Uh, we've been talking this morning about a lot of things that we're thankful for and a lot of other things. But, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what I'm thankful for this year. More probably uh, been a little more, I don't know, poignant, a little more in my life this year than, than other years past. And boy, I tell you, every time I do that exercise, and I've actually kind of tried to make it part of my step 10, you know, we talk about in recovery where we do the step 10, take a personal inventory at night. And as part of mine, I try and write down what I'm thankful for. Well, I've just tried to just focus on what I'm thankful for this week and what an exercise that's been. Oh, so important. You know, I've read recently about how important that is for anyone of any religion, atheist or not, religious or not. You know, I, I mean, it's important for anybody, I think, to uh, recognize gratitude and uh, how even keeping a gratitude journal, whether you believe or not believe, whether you're whatever religion or not religion, uh, can really change yeah, your perception of the world and eventually perception of yourself. And uh, as we've talked about so far on in this season, perception and identity is everything. And um, I, I wanted to ask, begin today by asking our listeners, did you thank your Heavenly Father this past week for the fall? Did you thank Him that you're fallen? Did you thank Him for Adam and Eve and celebrate their choice to fall into a telestial state. I, I mean, really, Scott, we don't... That's something that if we would be more grateful for, it would immediately make a difference in uh, the, how we see mortality, how we see life. Life was not meant, it was never meant to be pain-free or pleasure-filled that this world, this celestial world, is a place where immediately when you think of the fall, you should think of the atonement of Jesus Christ. When you think of Adam and Eve, they should point you directly and quickly to Jesus Christ. And, I, I mean, there, those, two, those two pillars and, and uh, points of doctrine uh, always go together. I, I was thinking in the temple this week. In fact, I performed a live marriage last Saturday, and I, I was trying to express this to the couple of the importance of the endowment and why we spend so much time talking about Adam and Eve in the endowment and, and what that had to do with them as a couple, like Adam and Eve, and that the reason we spend so much time on speaking about Adam and Eve in the temple, Scott, is because it tells us why we need a Savior and a Redeemer. It answers the fundamental question of why. I, I, I mean, I've heard people say, Elder Hafen, Bruce Hafen actually wrote, wrote an article about this. So many people have asked over the years, why do we spend so much time in the temple endowment talking about 
creation in the fall, and we spend such little time, hardly any time, talking about the story or the events from the life of Jesus Christ. And it occurred to him one day, and I know it's true, I've felt the same, that the reason we spend so much time on that is because the story of Jesus Christ or his life, it tells us and teaches us about what he did. But it's the story of Adam and Eve and the events of the fall that explain to us why he had to do it, why he was willing to do it. And it it also, Scott, it tells us how badly we need it and how we can access it through ordinances and covenants and bringing us into a relationship with him and that through him, Jesus Christ, that we can enter back into the presence of God and live in our heavenly home and be together forever as families. I, I mean, that's the, that's what the endowment's all about. Anyway, I was trying to explain that all to a to a couple that I that I sealed in the temple, and and I felt the spirit of that, and I know they did too. I just think it's really important for for us, for all of us, all of our listeners, to understand the sacred role that Adam and Eve played played in bringing about the plan of redemption. Without the creation, without the fall, there would be no atonement. And without the atonement of Jesus Christ, all of the creation and the fall would have been wasted. So those three, creation, fall, and atonement, make up the three pillars of the of the entire uh, plan of redemption. And I love talking about the fall, and it just seems as though that's not a popular topic in the church. But it sure sure is emphasized in the temple. And as we talk about the fall, it definitely does bring up some memory of past years or decades or whatever, when it, it seems like that as a, I don't know, as a people that we just haven't understood, and, and, and this is no fault of the church, this is not a theological problem. Yeah, it's, not a criticism. It's not at all, not at all. Maybe a cultural thing, for sure. Uh, that's how these things tend to be perpetuated. That lack of understanding has also kept us from a, a choice and a sweet, sweet relationship and an understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's a little bit different, you know, especially if we learn, you know, that, and especially I should say, as we learn that the, uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ was not God's backup plan, that it was all, even the fall of Adam and Eve was part of the orchestrated plan of happiness. Absolutely. The great plan of happiness. And, uh, you know, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve declared that. Lehi taught that. Adam fell. Right. This is uh, Lehi in Second uh, Nephi two twenty seven. Adam fell that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. Uh, it's taught throughout the Book of Mormon, Pearl Great Price, that they may taste the bitter, that they may know the sweet. I mean, this is taught so often and so, so well, so powerfully in the Book of Mormon, Scott. And and maybe we can just look at some of those foundational scriptures, I think, on the fall in the Book of Mormon. And I think one that it just really impresses me is the brother of Jared and his declaration of the of the blessing of the fall. I don't know if, it, I think that's what he's feeling here as he prays about it. Uh, he he confesses his unworthiness, but what a prayer. I mean, 
here is a prophet, the brother of Jared, who in this same chapter, Ether chapter 3, is going to see the Lord Jesus Christ after he offers this prayer, Scott. So, I mean, that should tell us something about his faith and about his worthiness and about where he stands in relationship to the Lord because he's going to see the pre-mortal existence being Jesus Christ in this chapter. Um, anyway, verse 2. O Lord, thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by the floods. He's He's been commanded, as you know, just to to remind our listeners, he's been commanded to build eight barges, and he's concerned that there's no light in the barges, and how do we get air in the barges? And so he's he's praying about this, and he asked the Lord in chapter 2 what to do about it, and the Lord says, well, uh, just put in a hole in the ship to get air, and, you know, he did, tells him how to get air. And then he says, well, what do you want me to do about giving you light? I, it's so great about how the Lord makes uh, the brother of Jared struggle, right? We all struggle in the fall. Uh, how he wanted the brother of Jared to struggle and to be somewhat uh, spiritually self-reliant by learning how to give, come to light. And he gets these molten rocks, and he's taken them to the Lord, and now he prays. O Lord, thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by the floods. Now behold, O Lord, and do not be angry with thy servant because of his weakness before thee. For we know that thou art holy and dwellest in the heavens, and that we are unworthy before thee. This is a pretty powerful prophet, Scott, and he's confessing his unworthiness before the Lord. We know that we are unworthy before thee, and he's kind of doing it collectively for his people as well. Because of the fall, our natures have become evil continually. Wow. What what a confession, but also what a, a statement of... Um, uh, not not just confession, Scott, but the, just the uh, a reality check here, right? And he's, I I don't think he's feeling sorry for himself, and he's not blaming the fall on any of this. He's just saying this is the way it is. This is the way it is. Well, I, I'm human. I'm just human, and he's recognizing and and I think even celebrating his fallen state. Uh, because of the fall, our natures have become evil continually. Nevertheless, O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment that we must call upon thee, that from thee we may receive according to our desires. And the prayer goes on, and a few verses later, uh, the Lord appears to him. Well, uh, in which the Lord says, Never has man come before me with such great faith as thou hast. So I just think it's it's really important, and, and the brother of Jared shows us a pattern here how we should confess and thank God for our fallen, our fallen state, our fallen nature. Now, he was not saying, it's important to know what he was not saying in that prayer, Scott. He, he didn't take it necessarily as his personal identity, but he's saying, my nature, he's not saying he's evil. He's not saying he's evil. He's saying, my nature by nature, my weakness, because of the fall. Uh, my nature is evil continually. The prophet Brigham Young, 
had taught multiple times that the nature of, of mankind is with us always. We never are we never will be completely free of it in this life. And that because of the nature of mankind that we 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 do have deficiencies. We have tendencies. We we all are affected by temptation and we sin and that we'll never be free from that in this life, Scott. I think it's just so critical to our identity to know that we are fallen, to know that we're lost, that we're sinners. We're going to read some scriptures where the, the Book of Mormon prophets say we are carnal, we are sensual, we are devilish, we're, 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 we are sinners. But that our identity never has to become, the, our, the prominent part of our identity never has to become that. I had an experience as a bishop. Uh, years and years ago, and uh, I had an individual who had had a long five-year, over five-year terrible addiction with pornography, and he came in, and he, he confessed that to me, and he, and he wept, he cried, and, and uh, you know, this, this man was a wonderful man, uh, just, you know, active, really active in the church, faithful, and uh, had a wonderful family, wife, beautiful wife, a number, good number of children. And uh, anyway, I loved and respected him so much. And I sat there and listened to him confess his sin. And he kept, in confessing it, he kept describing it as his desire. It's my, it's my I get this desire, or anyway, he's describing this whole sin as, a, as his desire. And it just wasn't setting right with me. The Spirit was making me feel uneasy as I sat there and listened to him. And finally I said to him, oh, no, wait, 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 wait just a minute, wait just a minute. Uh, uh, I know you. I know you. And you keep, you keep uh, describing this addiction as if it were your desire. I said, what if you, instead of saying it uh, like that, what, what if you thought of this, your desire instead of being your desire, what if you describe your addiction as a temptation? As a temptation and not as a personal desire. And he, he stopped and he looked at me and I could, he kind of you know, closed one eye and I could tell he was just really thinking about this. And I wasn't really sure what, what I had said or what I, why I, I had said it. And he said, Bishop, Sir, what you're saying to me is that this is coming from an outside source. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm saying to you. This is coming from an outside. This is a temptation. You're being tempted. It's coming from an outside source. And he said, so what you're saying to me is I'm not a pervert. I, wow. I looked at him and I said, that's what I'm saying. I, I know you are not a pervert. I knew him. I knew him. I knew. In fact, I asked him, Scott, what is the deepest desire of your heart? And he started to weep. And he said, the deepest desire of my heart is to be with my wife and family forever and ever. And I said, that's what I thought. That's what I thought you would say. So why are you describing this pornography addiction as your desire? The deepest desire of your heart is to have an eternal family. 
no, you are not a pervert. And then he said one more thing. So what you're saying to me is I can overcome this. And I said, no, that is not what I'm saying to you. What I, what I am trying to say to you is that with Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice, you can overcome this. Well, then that changed the focus, Scott, and, and um, boy, to his credit, he stayed true and faithful, and, um, and I trust and pray that he has completely stayed clean. Uh, anyway, I, I just think it's really important for me, for you, for all of our listeners to know that, that we are fallen, that because of our natures, uh, we are evil continually, but that I'm not evil. You're not evil. Uh, we do sin, which qualifies us to be sinners, but we are also saints. And that's reminiscent of the old Indian chief, right, whose who's, uh, grandson came to him and was saying, Grandpa, you know, I, 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 I feel this, I feel like I'm two people. I feel like I'm two people. And by the way, President McKay used to always talk about the dual nature of man. You know, that we are human beings having a spiritual experience, not, you know, versus spiritual beings having a human experience. And this dual nature of mankind and this, this war that goes on. And, and this, this young uh, teenage Native American explaining that to the, the wise man, his grandpa, and the grandpa says, well, let me, let me teach you something. There's, there's two dogs or two wolves inside each of us. And uh, they're always at war with one another. They're always competing for your attention. And the young man said, so who wins? And the grandfather, the wise man said, whichever one you feed. Whichever one you feed, whichever one you focus on. I, I just think it's really important, Scott, for us that to confess and actually to be grateful for our humanness mm-hmm. and our fallen state, but to not allow that to dominate our focus or our identity. If we go back to this prayer in Ether 3, uh, this is in verse 2, because of the fall, our natures have become evil. He doesn't say, I've become evil. Right, you've made this point. I'm just, right. I'm just reiterating it. Yeah. He said he he doesn't say you've become evil or I've become evil, but our natures have become evil, which and is it, true. And that is such an important delineation that we absolutely have to make Amen. in our own lives because the enemy, the accuser, the accuser will will tell us want us to think that we're perverts or, or whatever, and identify with whatever label I decide to give myself. But he says that the that our natures have become evil continually, right? Not me, my nature. What an important confession. In other words, I'm a sinner. Yeah. My nature, by nature, by nature, I'm a sinner, right? right? And and so often, you know, when we when we talk amongst ourselves with our friends and and this is one of the common things that we hear so often now. You need to stop judging yourself so harshly. You need to start. Ju- you need to stop seeing yourself in that way, which is absolutely the truth. Yeah, right. There is nothing inaccurate in that statement. We do need to stop seeing ourselves in ways that aren't aligned with the way our heavenly Father sees us. That's yes. that's the key. We've spent episodes already on that, and the, and its importance. But when I when I recognize 
that I struggle with or that I am, how is it, I, my nature has become, un, uh, has become evil continually. So there's two things I need to recognize there. One is, is the continuation of this evil nature is probably going to perpetuate into the resurrection, into the final judgment. That evil nature will be with me. And it will be something that I need to contend with and that I need to identify in, in its true form, right? Nature, yeah. not Scott, nature. And so when we see that, what we're really doing when I see myself or when I recognize my fallen nature, what I'm really doing, and I'm not making a judgment on myself, I'm just simply making an, an objective observation based on true principles. And that objective observation what that does now is it leads me into an acknowledgement of my absolute dependence. Getting exactly. back to the, uh, the that's uh, the key. Getting back to the uh, the uh, um, endowment presentation that you were talking about earlier. Right. That's why we talk about it. That's right. why it's so important that we do. Right. We have to understand our absolute dependence because of our continual evil nature, right. not person, evil nature. Uh, and I, I, I keep reiterating that and emphasizing that because I just because we'll forget it. We'll all at some point go back to beating ourselves up and we'll forget. It's my nature that's continually evil, not me. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's understanding that my continual nature, that's what I am. That's what I deal with. But that's not who I am. Exactly. Who I am is a redeemed son of my heavenly father, a brother of a, a loving savior who did not heed to temptation, who lived a sinless life and did all that was necessary so that his power could be accessed by me through his atonement, and thereby I overcome that continual evil nature. It just, it just answers, Scott, so many problems that people deal with. And it's just such an important truth and uh, realization and understanding of who we are. And again, whose we are. We are, we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Yep. That is a truth, absolute. And the I, I get, we quoted this scripture last week. I quoted it in the podcast. I give unto men weakness, right? E Ether twelve twenty seven. I give unto men weakness. Well, that's through the fall. We through the fall, through mortality, we are all weak. Our our natures are evil continually. That's all true. But the most important thing in that scripture in Ether twelve twenty seven is my grace is sufficient for all who humble themselves before me. So. I, I just hope that we can celebrate the fall, our fallenness, our human nature and experience. We can celebrate that because immediately when we think of it, it should point us towards and help us to focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement. We talked about Nephi last last week, Scott. Oh, wretched man that I am, right? Second Nephi chapter 4, verse 17. Oh, wretched man that I am. But in the very next verses, what does he what does that point him to? What does he acknowledge? But I know in whom I have trusted. That's that's where that's where it goes. It's it's like my wife. I mean, my my wife, which I'll put her on par with with anybody up there. As soon as she feels bad about her fallen nature, and even my wife, an unbelievable saint that she is, is a sin. Is, you know, she sins. She's a sinner. She's she's 
her nature's evil continually too. She's no better than the brother of Jared for sure, but she's amazing. As soon as she sins or she gets discouraged because of her fallen nature, she just has this little trigger now, which we all need to learn. And she bows her head and she says, thank you. Not because she's a sinner, but because she knows she needs Jesus Christ. And because of him, she's a saint. I mean, you just bow your head and you say, thank you. Thank you for this experience. And thank you for providing. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for providing me a Savior. That's what, that's what she's saying. When she bows her head and says, thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for my Savior, my Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So uh, to all of our listeners, uh, we cannot appreciate or be grateful it's Thanksgiving, Scott, of all the things, and it's going to be Christmas, and for all the things that we should be thankful for. It's Jesus Christ and his atonement, but you can never, never fully appreciate it, understand your need for it, or feel the level of gratitude that we should all have for it unless we understand and we thank God, literally thank God for the fall and for Adam and for Eve and confess our fallen nature before him continually. (laughs) We're never, I mean, we all feel it, Scott. And we should, again, I, I said this last week, but I'm just saying it again. We should never try to make our identity to what tempts us. Our temptations should never become a part of our identity. You know, for example, in the in the world of addiction, Scott, I know the, this popular phrase, right? Once an addict, always an addict. Uh, and I'll let you speak to this. Uh, but that has that always bothers me a little bit because if that becomes their identity... If they see themselves as being always an addict, now I know the nature is always there, the temptation's always there, right? I don't know if you're ever f- totally free from it, but to see yourself as always an addict doesn't would does not seem to me to be necessarily a, a principle or a thought that would be edifying or that would strengthen you. Well, what do you, what do you say yeah. to individuals who say once an addict, always an addict? Well, first off, I think that it's important that we understand what's meant by that, right? Because it, it, as is the case in so many things in our world, uh, words can have different meanings, right? And so when I call myself an alcoholic or an addict, and we can use those interchangeably for this discussion, but when I and I do, I refer to myself as I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, recovering alcoholic. Yeah, and and that's the key, you know. Recovering. Uh, yeah. But I don't say that. I mean, it's it's not uncommon that I say I'm an alcoholic, and, and you know, and it, it, to yeah. people that don't know, you know, I'll follow it up with who's in recovery, or and I have 25 years sober, but I'm an alcoholic, and and, and what that's saying is what Ether, or excuse me, what the brother of Jared said. I'm just I'm just recognizing the nature of the continual nature of my of my alcoholism. It's just me being evil. It's just the, my evil nature. It's not me. It's my evil nature. Uh, but that, so there's two there's two things. People will always, often, re, I shouldn't say always, will often refer to themselves. You go to an AA meeting, and I, you know I go to an AA meeting, and if I share this Saturday, 
with 25 years, I will introduce myself. I, hi, my name's Scott, and I'm an alcoholic, just like in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and and it's, well, do they say, hi, Scott? Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> they actually, hi, Scott. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually do. It's, which, you is, know, I, which I think is sweet. Yeah, and, you know, and I'll just throw laugh, this in parenthetically. I, I, I will tell you, and I've said this as I've shared my story, those, those were the first words of hope I heard. What? What were they? Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Wow. My name's my name's Scott, and I'm an alcoholic. Well, hi, Scott. I felt at home. I felt welcomed. I felt wow. a part of something. I felt embraced by a solution, a group of people who carried a solution. Yeah, sweet. And so, you know, when we say that, uh, we're not necessarily referring. When I say once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once an addict, always an alcoholic. All that means is, is that this has got to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Uh, this, this, and when I say this, this recovery part, you know, the recovering part has to be part of my life for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, 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 and probably chief among them is the second step to recognize um, that Jesus Christ is my salvation through this, that through him and only through and by him am I able to overcome any continual <laughs> evil in my life, yeah. alcoholism, drug addiction, whatever. So, you know... <clears throat> I think I think to the person who's not familiar with the culture around alcoholism, or I should say, recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, and those other types of things, when they hear that, I, I've even had people say, "I hate to label myself as an alcoholic. I don't want to be labeled as an alcoholic the rest of my life." Well, it's just another word for you're a fallen man, and this 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 particular yeah, and labels aren't good. Labels are negative, and, and this particular part of your fallenness, we, we do need to just kind of identify it to help us remember how important it to is that we stay, remember. to yeah. help to help us remember how important it is that we not just stay vigilant towards working steps, but that we stay extra vigilant on a relationship with a higher that's, uh, with a power that's greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity if we take certain steps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Scott, that's exactly what I, the, the temple endowment tries to teach us right. is that each of us are Adam and Eve, and we have we we are in a celestial state, and immediately we should uh, build our altars and offer sacrifice, and and think about the Lamb of God and Jesus Christ, and thank Him that because of His suffering and His death, that our suffering will not be in vain; it'll be consecrated for our gain, and that through Him we will have eternal life. The Book of Mormon just teaches us over and over and over again, Scott. I mean, I'm going to go to uh, Mosiah chapter 16. I think it's one of the great, great uh, discourses on doctrine, on this doctrine. Uh, It's it's Abinadi, the prophet Abinadi, teaching King Noah in his court. And I believe it's chapter 16 that definitely converts uh, Alma the senior, that one high priest who, who became a saint, all that followed that because of Alma the Younger and his son. and Anyway, it changes just, the this history is just, of these people. This is one of the greatest discourses on the uh, the fall and the atonement. It is. Chapter, chapters really uh, 14, 15, and yep, 16. Yep. Abinadi, teaching King Noah, says, That old serpent did beguile our first parents. I'm in verse 3, middle of the verse. Which was the curse of their fall, which was the cause of all mankind. Get that, Scott. All mankind becoming carnal, sensual, devilish, knowing evil from good, subjecting themselves to the devil. Thus all mankind were lost. 
All mankind, Scott, were lost, and behold, they would have been endlessly lost were it not for that God that redeemed his people from their lost and fallen state. But remember that he that persists in his own carnal nature and goes on in the ways of sin and rebellion against God remaineth in his fallen state, and the devil hath all power over him. Therefore he is as though there was no redemption made, being an enemy to God, and also is the devil an enemy to God. And now if Christ had not come into the world, I love this verse, and now, and I think about Christmas every time I read this verse, and now if Christ had not come into the world, speaking of things to come, as though they had already come, because this is 148 B.C. approximately, there could have been no redemption. So even before Christ was born, Scott, even before he was born, Abinadi, the prophet, and Nephi, 600 years before Christ was born, what did they think of? They knew they were lost. They knew they were fallen. They knew they were subject to a world that was powered in many respects by the devil. They they knew that they were living in a world of sin and that they felt the effects of that every day. But what did they think of? Their focus was on redemption and upon Jesus Christ, their Savior and their Redeemer. So if it, I, we need to celebrate the fall, but we don't need to... That doesn't need to be our identity. We need to know that we are sinners. We're all just sinners helping sinners. But when I think of that, we need to immediately see Jesus in the garden and on the cross. And we need to have our minds and our thoughts as he commanded us to do. Be ever upon him. Look unto me in every thought. So as soon as we th- we become discouraged by our fallen nature and our state of carnality that we are never free from, really. I mean, I you feel the temptation every day. I feel temptation every day. I know the prophets feel temptations every day. I think sometimes the closer you get to Jesus, the more temptation you feel, the more small things, you know. Anyway, Brigham Young taught, Joseph Smith taught, we're never, we're never totally free from it. But through, the, through receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, we can become spiritually alive. We can be born again. And we can, in many respects, be free from the continual, continual effects of sin, even though the brother of Jared said, because of the fall, his nature was evil continually. That's an important confession and to recognize it. But we don't have to be sinning. We don't have to be complacent about sin. I think it's so important that we learn how to hate the sins, but love the sinners. And that includes ourselves, Scott. In my own self, I can abhor sin, but I can love me and recognize that it's because of the fall I feel these things, not because that's who I am. It's because of the fall I'm tempted, but that's not who I am. It's because of the fall I have certain propensities, 
tendencies, weaknesses of the flesh. But that's not who I am. I am a son of God, and I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and have been born again through him. And I can become a joint heir of Christ through the ordinances and the power of godliness found in the ordinances of the restored gospel of Jesus. I mean, that's what should be our focus and our identity. And that makes all the difference. It does make all the difference. In fact, it is all the difference. It, it is the difference, not all the difference. It is the difference, yeah, right? Totally. It, it, and, and, it, and it's through that that we, how it's through that that develops our ability to see ourselves, but it's also through that that develops our ability to see Him. Jesus Christ for what he is and what he what That's he he has done and and all of that very key. You know when when uh, as you're going through talking about all of that our identities I, and I and I have big pictures to go with these words we all do. We all have pictures to go with these words about you know our identity is on who on what we've done wrong sometimes and and uh, our our fallen natures and it, and that is a big 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 problem. Because it is, and the accuser is what keeps those oh, pictures before us continually. That's exactly right, <laughs> and, and and it can make those pictures seem even uglier than what they really are. Yeah. If we if you know if we allow that to happen and seem more real than they really are. Yeah, one of the problems uh, that I think is semi universal is uh, that we as people, we as humans, we as those who are struggling with this evil continual na- continually evil nature is the way that we judge ourselves, the way that we talk to ourselves. Condemn. The way, the way that we Shame condemn and put ourselves, ourselves down and compare ourselves right. to others and, right. and everything like that. If I'm sponsoring somebody, or if even me, if, if, if I'm sponsoring somebody and I get a phone call and I haven't heard from them a week, a month, sometimes longer, and then I get a phone call eventually, and that phone call says, and I say, man, you've been kind of gone, AWOL, where you been? Well, I've been ashamed. I've been embarrassed. I've been whatever we call it on a runner sometimes, and 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 what that means is is that somebody's made a mistake. They've slipped up, and now their identity all comes back to this is who I am. I'm the slip up. I'm the mess up. Yeah. I'm the mistake. I'm the and that's what I'm a pervert. That's what Satan wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that it's me. That that is who I am. Right. Right. That, and and if he can get us to do that, and, he, and f- for whatever reason and whatever tools are used, I guess this is part of the um, enmity, right? Uh, that we that we have, but we in the bruising of our heels. But we definitely get those heels bruised as we go through life and just see ourselves that way. Now, a lot of that, and I would probably say maybe even most of that comes when we don't understand him when we don't really know him, when we don't, because we have these experiences based on human experiences and all of our reaction to life is based on our human interaction and our interpersonal relationships that we have here. And so, for example, if a father was going to be, you know, if I had a dad and this isn't my dad, but if I had a dad who was going to be extremely disappointed in me for something that I had done, then I am going to let that affect me. Well, if we see Heavenly Father in that same realm and we don't see him in the purest, perfect form that we do, then we can also make that part of our experience here, and that can compound the problem. Another big uh, tool of Satan's. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. 
You made reference to the the bruising of our hill or the bruising of man's hill, and maybe some of our listeners aren't as familiar with that, but that's in Genesis chapter 3. It's in the Pearl of Great Price, Moses chapter 4, when after Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit, he addresses Adam, and there are certain consequences for the partaking of the fruit, right? He'll, he'll, he'll work by the sweat of his brow, and and there's a, there's a consequence for uh, Eve and that... Uh, you know the some of the the curse of of Adam and Eve that we all experience uh, that she will bear with uh, great uh, affliction children and and then he and then he curses this he he talks to the serpent and he says i'm going to start in, in uh, it's verse 20 in the pro great price moses chapter 4 verse 20 i the lord said unto the serpent because thou hast done this Thou shalt be cursed above all cattle, and above all every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, this is important, Scott, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And he shall have power, and he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." In the temple, it becomes even a little more clear than that, that uh, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, God, even though Satan can bruise our hill, that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, Satan will be crushed. I mean, that's the meaning of that. That, no doubt, because of the fall. Yeah. Because of a fallen state, a celestial world, hey, we're bruised every day. But because he, Jesus Christ, was bruised for our iniquities, and he felt all of the suffering, and he took upon himself all of the pains and punishment for all sin and for all sicknesses and for all negative consequences, all negative consequences of the fall, are swallowed up and suffered by Jesus Christ in his offering to us, in his atonement, Satan is crushed. We, we need to understand that. And so when we feel, when we feel him bruising our heel, we need to be thoughtful and have our minds go immediately to our gratitude for Jesus Christ and his atonement. So when we think of the fall, this important doctrine, it should point us to the atonement of of Jesus Christ. And I, I hope that our listeners will feel a greater need as for Jesus Christ as they feel greater gratitude and have greater understanding for the blessing that Adam and Eve... I, I just... You know, Adam and Eve are are two foreordained individuals. I think Elder McConkie uh, referred to them maybe being as, you know, Jesus Christ is the most important person that that's been born on this this earth. Maybe the second to to him was, and I'm not comparing men and women here. I'm just saying maybe the second most important man would have been Adam, and maybe Mary the mother of Jesus, most important woman born on this earth, and maybe just second to her is Eve. I, I just, we need to celebrate 
Adam and Eve and the choice that they made. And I, here's something else we have to celebrate and be thankful for as Latter-day Saints is that there is no other Christian church. I, I've, I've, been, I've read recently again some of the biblical commentaries of the fall and how everybody condemns the fall. That there's, no, there's not another Christian church that believes that the fall was actually part of God's plan and it was supposed to be that way. Uh, I just think that's I just think that's one of the great uh, blessings of the restoration of the gospel. It's one of the great blessings of the Book of Mormon. It's one of the great blessings of having prophets, seers, and revelators on this earth is that we can celebrate the fall while at the same time give gratitude and thanks and realize our dependence upon uh, Jesus Christ. But all others believe that that the fall should have never taken place. They believe that Adam and Eve did a terrible thing and that we could have been all born and raised in a paradisical glory. And we don't believe that. And I just think it it should make life. It should make life more bearable for all of us, understanding that this was part of God's plan. It's not a mistake. There's not a mistake in God's plan or in his creations. This is all part of the of what he wanted to happen. And as a result, he, he, he made ample provision to cover it, to compensate us. And, and uh, thank God for our understanding of the fall and uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ. You know, you, you're talking about how we are, I think, the only one, that, that sees the, the only religion that sees the fall of Adam and Eve the way that we do. Well, you know, that's a tactic that Satan used even in the garden. Right. right. So, so hear me. Right. So, so right. listen. Listen. For example, you know, um, it, it, when Satan comes to Eve in the garden, right? Uh, you know, he says, um, "Take take a bite of this fruit," and she says, "I can't do that." And she says, "I can't even touch it." Exactly. And he says, "Oh, come on, you can. You're touch not going to die. Yeah, you're not going to die. Right. You know. So, so what's he doing? Is he's trying to get Eve to even in the very beginning question God. Yeah. To even put a question right. mark in her mind around, okay, and 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 when you're talking about that, that's how others continually see it. Well, that's Satan still getting us to try to question God. You're right. And when we do that, that's when doubt can creep in. That's when the spirit of the adversary can creep in and kind of overshadow all other things. And and I think perhaps maybe just maybe that 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 could be one of the reasons that uh, Satan uh, has done such a, a powerful attempt in in changing the way that we see this is because that if he can thwart our vision on the fall of Adam and Eve then yeah. he can definitely mess up the way we see the atonement of Jesus yeah. Christ yeah that's a great that's a great observation Scott I I love your thought on that and and it's true and you know Paul talks about that that Eve was beguiled. Yeah. Well, she was beguiled. Yeah. She <laughs> was beguiled. She she was absolutely deceived by by Satan. Now she she finally realized, she finally realized, and I don't know at what point she realized that yeah, yeah, I do need to become I do need to become like my heavenly Father and I do need to I do need to to leave this garden in order to I mean, at some point she realized that, hey, we can't keep the first commandment. The first commandment was, right, 
to multiply and replenish the earth. The second commandment given by God was don't partake of the fruit. Now, some people see that that's a great contradiction, and and it's it's really more it's really cleared up in uh, in Moses chapter three because in Moses chapter three uh, he says, nevertheless, you may choose for thyself. And Eve had come to realize that these two commandments, I'm going to have to choose to leave this garden in order to multiply and replenish the earth. She knew that after she had partaken, uh, it became more real to her, and she got Adam to partake as well. So all of this is part of the plan. And some people say, well, why did God give contradicting uh, commandments? Well, Brother Matthews, Robert J. Matthews, he has a whole talk on that, and it's because of of the of the uh, sacred nature of agency. God can make them fall; he, they had to choose for themselves. And I don't know how long they were in the garden before all this happened. Right? We don't have any uh, sequential timing of of these events. Uh, they could have been in the garden for I think a long, long time before Eve said, "Hey, we got it. We Adam, we've got to we got to get on with the keeping that first commandment to multiply and replenish the earth." And for whatever reason, in the Garden of Eden, we don't understand. We don't have any more details than what the scriptures provide us. We don't know if it's that they couldn't uh, procreate or if they just wouldn't procreate. We don't know. I. I that's ridiculous to probably even philosophically discuss or wonder, but but um, she came to understand that we have to move on from here. And there was deception. She was beguiled, but she made the choice, and I love, we read the scripture last week, and I love that it's in the temple endowment about her rejoicing, her rejoicing in the fall that they might be able to have children and they might be able to progress. I, I just hope all of us can see our our fallen state as a state of progression and that as soon as we think about our fallen natures, which are evil continually, that we can rejoice in the, our absolute dependence on Jesus Christ being such an important part and the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. You know, I don't think we read last week, Scott. It's always been impressive to me about King Benjamin and what he says about the fall. Even after people are born again, even after they're born again, even after they're converted, even after they're forgiven of all their sins, Scott, what does what does he say to them? I mean, here they are rejoicing. This is in Mosiah chapter 4. Even after they're rejoicing, and they talk about how they now have a peace of conscience because they've taken upon themselves the name of Jesus Christ in a, in a more sacred and significant way than even even baptism. Really, they they cry out, "Oh, have mercy and apply the atoning blood." And in verse four, they have joy and peace of conscience. And then right after that, King Benjamin says to them, in verse five. Behold, if the knowledge of the goodness of God at this time has awakened you to a sense of your nothingness and your worthless and fallen state. That is so interesting that he kind of reverses this and he says, I hope that the goodness of Christ helps you to remember your fallen, worthless state. 
Isn't that interesting? And then he goes on and he talks about, hey, let the knowledge of the goodness of God, this is verse 6, let the goodness of God and his matchless power and his wisdom and patience and his long-suffering towards the children of men and also the atonement which has been prepared from the foundation of the world. Let that and let that be what you focus on. Focus on that. But it's because of the goodness of God and the atonement of Jesus Christ that should help you to remember how worthless and the let me put that different of your worthless and fallen state that you're in. And there, Scott, there's a difference between state and trait. I, I used to teach this in in my course at the institute. You know, he it's a fallen state. State is different than trait. Our trait is that we have spiritual DNA in us. We have God's DNA, spiritually speaking, spirit DNA in us. That's, that's what we should identify with, and that should be, we should consider that to be our traits, and yet we are in such a fallen state. And then in verse 11, he talks, uh, always retain in remembrance, I'm in the ver- middle of verse 11, always retain in remembrance the greatness of God and your own nothingness and his goodness and long-suffering towards you, unworthy creatures, and humble yourselves even in the depths of humility, calling on the name of the Lord daily and standing steadfastly in the faith of that which is to come, meaning Jesus Christ, the birth then the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to come. I like the the uh, first part of eleven two, and I, I'm going to read it and again. I said unto you, I have as I have said before, that as ye have come, and and this is key because this is setting us up in order for us to be able to do that. These these are prerequisite to all of that. Yeah, uh, that if you've come to the knowledge and the glory of God, or if you have known of His goodness, and there's a difference. Yeah, uh, you know, to know God and to know of His goodness. I mean, there, there's that's an adjective, that, and to know it and to be grateful for it. That carries a great deal of gratitude, weight, a ton of weight Thanks. when it comes to this. As you have known of His goodness and have tasted of His love, mm. um, and have received yeah. a remission of your sins, which to me are one and the same, mm-hmm. which causes such exceeding great joy. In your souls, even so I would that you should remember and always retain in remembrance the greatness of God. And then it goes on, and your yeah. own nothingness. And, and so in order for us to retain in a remission, or to retain a remembrance of the greatness of God, that, that, is, that, that presumes that we once knew yeah. of the greatness, right? Yeah. That we understood it, and we still do. The way that we understand it and the way that we still do is to taste of his love and to feel the promise and the hope of his redeeming love through That's Jesus a daily Christ thing, Scott. Stuff. It is. And, and sometimes it's more than daily. <laughs> I yeah, was talking hourly, to, moment by moment. I, huh? ta- I was talking to a sponsor, a sponsee yesterday who was having a terrible, rotten, no good day, and I just reminded him, hey, we can start our day over anytime we want. Yeah. And that's what that really means, right? And and it's to recognize our need, right? Our need yeah. on a savior and how much we rely right. on a redeemer. Yeah, that's that is the key to our happiness. 
and the fulfillment of the great plan of happiness, that we live in a fallen state. Praise the Lord. And he sent a Savior and Redeemer. Praise the Lord. I, I mean, I, I just hope this time of year, uh, when, when we think about the, the Christmas season, Scott, I hope that the fall, I hope that Adam and Eve are somehow a part of our Christmas traditions and our celebration, and that we celebrate them and that we're grateful for what they have made possible for us because without them, we would have no need for a Redeemer and a Savior. And I'm just so thankful that this is God's plan of salvation and redemption, that that it's through Jesus Christ and not through you, not through me, not on our own, that we are redeemed. That is the perfect plan of, of God. Amen. Wow. Uh, and great timing, you know, as we enter into the holiday season, as we start to just by nature, I think the whole world just kind of by nature takes a little bit different feel during this time of year. And as we consider the importance of the things that we've been talking about now, and as we move into a celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then then I hope that these things will enhance our experience as we go through that. And I know, I promise you that they will, if you'll make an effort for that to happen. Thanks for being with us. Uh, our email address, he redeems us at gmail.com. We've received a, a lot of great emails. We're responding to those as we can. Uh, we will continue to talk about. In fact, we've got a few of those that we'll be talking about on the podcast in upcoming weeks. Hope your Thanksgiving was great. Hope everything as we move into the holiday season uh, with Christmas and everything else goes well for you as well. Thanks for being with us, and we look forward to being with you again next week. And until then, be well. <laughs>